0: Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This man's grandson killed this man's son. This is how tonight's guest, Azeem Kamisa, is often introduced when he appears before groups gathered to hear him speak. His story begins back in 1995 when his only son, Tariq, a 20-year-old student, was shot and killed while delivering pizzas in San Diego. His killer, Tony Hicks, became the first 14-year-old to stand trial as an adult, in the state of California, and he received a 25-year-to-life prison sentence. Not long after his son's death, Azim founded the Tariq Kamisa Foundation, an organization committed to stopping children from killing children. He also invited Tony's grandfather and guardian, Ples Felix, to join him in this cause, and the two of them have since been sitting side-by-side side on stages across the country sharing the power of forgiveness. I first learned about Azim while watching a 2007 documentary on PBS entitled The Power of Forgiveness. I was so moved by what I heard that I felt compelled to share his story with others, and we, Sal and I, are honored to have him join us today via phone. Azim, welcome to Grace in 30.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show, Ed.
0: Yeah, very, very happy to have you with us. Um, maybe to set the stage for our listeners, perhaps you could uh, spend a little bit of time walking us through those first days, hours, weeks, months following Tariq's death and how you came to the point where you realized that forgiveness was the only path to take.
1: Yes, uh, obviously losing a child, probably the most complicated thing for a parent. Uh, I went through all the emotions you would imagine a parent to go through, you know, um, overwhelming grief, unbearable grief, um, Uh, you know, he was a very important person in my life, obviously. I have a daughter, but he was my only son. I really did not know how to live without him. And um, um, I was suicidal at one point. So the initial days were very, very hard. Um, However, what uh, saved me, I'm a Sufi Muslim, and I started to meditate when I was 20 years old. And I lost my son uh, when I was 40, and I already had a fairly strong spiritual practice. And I remember when I got the call from the police to tell me that Tariq had been shot and killed, my initial uh, reaction, knee-jerk reaction, was they made a mistake, uh, because it didn't make any sense. He was a great student at San Diego State and worked Fridays and Saturdays as a pizza delivery man, was lured to a bogus address by a youth gang, and they were Four of them, three of them were 14. The leader was 18, who handed a 9-millimeter handgun, and in a gang initiation ritual, uh, gave the order to the 14-year-old, busting bones, and he fired one bullet, which was fatal. Well, of course, I did not know that. I, my knee-jerk my reaction was that homicide had made a mistake, and my son Tariq had just gotten engaged to Jennifer. He'd been, they'd been dating for about two and a half years, And uh, they had moved together in the same apartment. Uh, So I called the apartment. It was very early Sunday morning, uh, fully expecting him to pick up the phone. Of course, he didn't. Uh, Jennifer did, and she already knew because the police uh, had gone to her home first. And uh, she was sobbing, and it's when it hit me. And I remember I was in my kitchen. I lost strength in both of my legs as I collapsed to the floor, hit my head against the refrigerator, and curled up in a ball, and, uh, and the pain was so excruciating, I don't have the words for it, but I left my body, I could not be in my body, and, uh, and I've heard that under severe trauma, um, there are victims that actually do have this out-of-body experience, and I believe in God. And I left my body, and I believe I went into a loving embrace of God. It was like a nuclear bomb that had gone off in my heart. And uh, God held me in this embrace for a very long time. I, I, I don't remember how long I was gone. It felt like a long time. And then when the explosion subsided, I came back into my body with the wisdom that there are victims at both ends of the gun. Now, in... In deep trauma, uh, sometimes there's a spark of clarity, and and I don't know where that came from. It didn't come from my my intellect or my loving heart. I believe that message came from a higher power, because an hour and a half after my son died, my best friend was with me, and I'd made all the difficult calls to call his mother and my parents and... Is uh, my daughter and uh, excruciating. And, and then my best friend was with me. And, and his wife went to get Jennifer, which was Tarek's fiancé. And I was alone with my friend. And he said to me, whoever these kids are, I hope they fry in hell. And my immediate response to him was, I don't feel that way. I see that there are victims at both ends of the gun. So that was... Uh, uh, an insightful gift uh, from the universe, and that eventually led me to forgive my son's killer, start the Tari Khamisa Foundation, as you talked about in my intro, reach out to the grandfather. We've been together for 20 years, and the kid who killed my son is now 35, and I've written four books, and my first was From Murder to Forgiveness, and I followed that with From Forgiveness to Fulfillment, because the work that I've done it's been very rewarding. I've given over a 1,000 presentations, over a million kids. I have over 100,000 letters from kids. I speak worldwide now. Uh, and then I recently finished the trilogy, From Fulfillment to Peace. And Tony actually wrote the forward to it. And we're looking forward for him to join us. We finally have a parole date for him in 2018 and he's 12 units away from his uh, degree in child psychology, and I think you can see the power of him on stage with his grandfather and niece. And it all started with that, uh, that, uh, that uh, gift from the universe that our victims at both ends of the gun, that the enemy was not the 14-year-old. Indeed, the enemy is a lot of societal and peer pressure that forced many young men to fall to the crack by getting involved with gangs, and we've lost a thousand lives to gang violence in Chicago this year, um, or they get radicalized is what you see going on in the Middle East.
0: So, so you mentioned talking to how many students? You've, I, I know you've been doing work in school systems like the San Diego school system, um, but you've had a chance to affect how many lives?
1: Well, I've talked to over. I've given over a thousand school presentations. Uh, in San Diego, we have what we call a safe school, uh, a safe school model, which are several programs. Besides the live assembly with me and the grandfather, we have in-classroom curriculum, we have after-school groups, we have service-learning projects, and we have mentoring because in the inner cities, in eight and twelve percent of the kids are the challenging kids, and we hook them up with the mentors. And in two years, we can, we've uh, increased the school attendance by 72%. We've uh, reduced suspensions and expulsions by 70%, so it's working. But besides what I'm doing in the foundation in San Diego, I speak worldwide on uh, about a half a dozen uh, uh, topics. And this year, I'm on my way to Australia. Uh, next month, and then the month in September, I'll be in uh, Finland, and in December, I'll be in India. And I speak uh, a lot within the United States and Canada. Uh, and very often, I'm in front of kids, and I speak on the principles of nonviolence. So if you look at my particular speaking, uh, over a 1,000 presentations I've done to, to schools, and they go anywhere from middle to high to college. And I've done another 500 uh, keynotes at conferences to people that actually work in education, social justice, uh, criminal justice. Uh, I also speak at uh, prisons. I'll be speaking in Leavenworth, which is one of our federal prisons, uh, 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 in about two weeks. So I'm on the road 180 days, which is a lot but this work is very meaningful to me.
2: Yeah, tell us a, a favorite story uh, or, or something that resonates with you from all the visits you've made in, through the foundation. Is there one or two things that you felt just sort of stuck with you during this time?
1: Yeah, there's several stories. that We've we've had uh, many kids that I have uh, originally spoken to that have come back and become mentors um, at the Tariq Hamisa Foundation. And... Uh, but uh, you know, uh, this is a seventh grader here. His name is Alex. He is actually a Hispanic kid. His name is Alejandro, and we teach uh, uh, in our in our in-classroom curriculums. We teach uh, we have classes on empathy, on compassion, on forgive on forgiveness, which is the main part of our our work in choice making and peacemaking, and, and and all of our lessons have. Um, have a, have a theme. So the, 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 the one that comes to mind is about uh, Alejandro or Alex, and, and he was the most disruptive seventh grader in this class. But this uh, lesson that uh, we taught on empathy uh, got to him, because uh, the theme on the empathy is you don't know me till you walk a mile in my shoes, and I don't know you till I walk a mile in your shoes, because you can't have empathy somebody you don't know. I know everything that is to know about the kid who killed my son and sometimes I feel if I had lived the same life as he had, I probably would have made the same choice that he did. So it's very important to really see the other side. And then we teach the we teach because you know empathy is a big word for a seventh grader, so we put it in perspective and then we teach the lesson, we tell our story, we do experiential exercises and the homework is Go walk in in somebody's shoes you don't know. So the week after, the next lesson is on compassion, and uh, the teacher asked, who wants to share their homework on empathy? And of course, Alex's hand shot up. He was so animated that there was no way to avoid it. the teacher was thinking, this kid is the most disruptive kid in my class, and he's going to ruin my, my class, but he didn't. He actually made the class, and she had to ask him, okay, Alex, what is it that you want to share? Well, I was walking in the hood last weekend, and this kid gave me a dirty, angry look. And the kid giving him a dirty, angry look is African American. And, you know, we have a lot of issues in San Diego between Hispanic gangs and African American gangs and white gangs and and also, you know, Vietnamese gang. But this was a uh, and, and he said, you know, the rules of the hood are, if somebody who gives you a dirty, angry look, you go beat him up. Uh, but since you have taught me that you don't know me till you walk a mile in my shoes, and I don't know you till I walk a mile in your shoes, I walked up to this kid and said, why are you giving me a dirty, angry look? So what the kid? What the kid? I'm not giving you a dirty, angry look. I'm angry because my brother was shot and killed last night. So what did you do? I reached out to him. I put my hand on his shoulder. And I told him, you know, I know exactly how you feel because my uncle, my favorite uncle, was shot six months ago. Now think about it. This was, you know, one lesson on empathy. Tell me you can't teach this stuff. What would have been a, a, a violent fight became a compassionate deed. So, you know, what I'm learning, having done this work for 20 years, that violence is a learned behavior. No child was born violent, including the kid to killed my son. He wasn't born violent. If you accept that as a truism, then nonviolence can also be a learned behavior. But you have to teach it, because kids are not going to learn it through osmosis. Now, schools don't have time to teach nonviolence and teach empathy and compassion and forgiveness and peacemaking. So the foundation has taken over that mandate, which is a big part of my life, and we teach these principles about nonviolence. And, you know, what gives me a lot of hope is that uh, having done this work, you know, for 20 years, given a live uh, presentation to over a million kids, I have over 100,000 letters, What gives me a lot of hope is that not only are these concepts teachable, our kids are hungry for them. So I'm hoping that uh, in my lifetime that uh, what TKF teaches, the foundation teaches, will become mainstream, Uh, just like math and science and writing and reading and history and geography. I think what we are teaching needs to be mainstream because not all these kids are going to be doctors and lawyers and astronauts and you know, the, the people that have a second degree in the United States are under twelve percent. Kids that right. have PhDs is like three and a quarter percent. Well you know is most you, of these kids would be, become parents.
2: You know, you bring up a good point here about having this as part of our everyday curriculum because, you know, just some of the statistics on your website, you know, one point nine million crimes committed in schools each year, nine children dying every day in this country from violence. Let's take a step back. You know, you talked about the reactions that some of the students give you. What was the reaction of, of Tony's grandfather, Pless Felix, when you reached out to him to join forces? What What was yeah. his reaction, and what has that been like?
1: Yes, that uh, is very uh, fresh in my mind, although it was 20 years ago. Uh, I asked the district attorney to introduce me to Pless Felix uh, and uh, we met in the public defender that defended Tony's office, and, and uh, I started the conversation by telling him, I'm not here scree- screaming revenge and retribution because your son murdered uh, your grandson. It was like a son to him, it lived with him and calls him daddy, and that your grandson took the life of my son, rather than here in the spirit of compassion and forgiveness because what I really see here, is that we both lost a child my son died and you lost your grandson to the adult criminal justice system he was the first 14 year old uh, to be tried as an adult in the state of california so it's a very much a landmark case and i started this foundation called the tari Khamisa foundation and our mission is to stop kids from killing kids by breaking the cycle of youth violence. And our mission is essentially three mandates. First, to save lives of kids. Just like you pointed out, we lose so many on a daily basis. Uh, we've had 135 sh- mass shootings. A mass sh- shooting is where more than four people died this year. It's crazy. So our first mandate is to save lives of children because we lose way too many. Um, and, 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 and Newtown, Connecticut, five, six, seven-year-olds were you know, gunned down with machine gun fire. I mean, they had a lot of living to do. Our second mandate is to empower the right choices so they don't fall through the crack. And our third mandate is to teach the principles of nonviolence, of, of, of empathy, of compassion, of forgiveness, of peacemaking. And the reason I'm here is that uh, I can't do anything to bring my son back from the dead Place You can't do anything to get Tony out of prison. But the one thing you and I can do is make sure no other young person uh, in our community ends up dead like Tariq or ends up in prison like Tony. And that's why I'm here, because this is a big job, stopping kids from healing kids. I can't do this by myself. Will you help me? And it'd be to do this work together, because you lost a grandson, I lost a son. Will you help me? And he was very quick to say, he's an African-American. My roots are Eastern. Uh, he's a Baptist from the South, as a Christian. And I would never have met him uh, had his grandson not killed my son. He said to Nazim, I, 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 you know, ever since I found out that my grandson was responsible for the death of your son, I went into the prayer closet, praying that someday I get to meet you so that I can extend to you and my family my deepest condolences. So I can't thank you enough to reaching out to me and of course I will help you. I will do anything to support you that I can because my grandfather took the life of your one and only son.
2: Now now you talked about his experience going to these prayer into prayer communities but you go into a, a number of these community settings or just group settings whether they're prisons or neighborhoods what what do you sense from people there that they're obviously they are seeking hope but there's there's disappointment there's confusion and yet you come in with this very clean message that, that's not sorrowful, it's, it's inspiring, but it, but, it, but again, the word clean I keep using because it's truthful, perhaps, that you've yeah. come to this that's- truth. I mean, can you tell us a bit about the interactions you have in these communities and some of the vibe you get from people in the communities when you go in there?
0: And, and as Azim, I'd also like you to focus a bit on what's happening these days. I mean, we've just had the Dallas shooting. There's been several uh, black men that have been killed uh, by the police, and there's just a lot of upset uh, in the nation right now. You know, speak, yes. to, speak to that as well.
1: Okay, all right. Well, let me, uh, let me say what I'm seeing in the communities because I speak in schools and prisons and I speak at a lot of conferences. So here's, the, here's, the, here's, the, here's what everybody has a story. And what I'm learning that everybody is either in resentment for what has been done to them or they are in guilt because at some level we've all harmed somebody. and Sometimes we've harmed people that we love the most. If you're living in resentment, and if you're living in guilt, these are highly debilitating states of emotions that are with you 724. And you can't be out there 100%. Now, I wasn't trained in social work. My degrees are in math and finance. I was an investment banker international, and I speak a half a dozen languages. I went to school in England. I was born in Kenya, and my roots are Eastern. But I've done well in social services because I don't have... I don't harbor any resentment or guilt. And this is a very important thing, that it is important that you forgive people that have harmed you, so resentment is not occupied in this meager real estate of your psyche. And it's important that you forgive yourselves, because living in guilt is, is very harmful for you. And unless you forgive people that have harmed you, you remain a victim. And there's no quality of life being a victim. I and mean, in I did not want to go through life on crutches. I know a lot of people feel sorry for me that I've lost my one and only son. I wanted that full life back. In my, in my international banking days, I traveled the world, stayed in nice places, made good money, had good social life. Then I had no life. Literally took all of my willpower just to climb out of bed. I wanted that life back. I have that life back. I have a very full life today. Um, no, it's different. Uh, this is more important, though because this is about saving lives of children. Investment banking was about money, much more fulfilling, much more meaningful. And, uh, and, and, and I believe that I had this full life back because I was able to forgive. And I think once you get on this path of forgiving people that have harmed you, you also look at your issues. Because, you know, I started with murder. My first book was murder to forgiveness and forgiveness to fulfillment and then fulfillment to peace. I enjoy a level of peace I never had. Not that I would not want my son back. Obviously, I would want my son back in a New York second. But that's not possible. But that decision I made to forgive has led me to peace. So I think that one of the things that is very authentic in my work in community is that people get that, that we are very quick to judge of people, color, race, socioeconomic status, even how they dress. We, We judge, judge, judge. Judgment is the biggest impediment to forgiveness. I left the judging to a higher power. And Tariq's girlfriend was the only one that was not able to forgive. All of my family forgave, and, and she was really angry with me that I forgave Tony. And I told Jennifer, I'm going to leave Tony to the higher power. I'm not going to want to go through life with anger and resentment, because that just harms me, self-abuse. Eventually, she was not able to forgive. Got on to drugs, and seven years after Tariq died, she committed suicide. Uh-huh. And I worked with her. I wish she could have forgiven All my family on both sides. My my, my parents' side and Tariq's mother's side you know, have forgiven. So it's something that we do for yourself, you know, and, and I think that if people really get my journey, and if they're holding on to resentment, and if they're holding on to guilt, they see how I was able to Choose forgiveness, and where I am today. And I think that that message rings true because it is a true story; it's authentic. And uh, and I can tell you that I was very lucky. I right? praise the good Lord that I had the eyes to transcend something that was very dark and get to get to forgiveness. It was the right choice. for me. So,
0: so how do now. you help? How, how do you help people who are? I mean, there are a lot of people hurting right now. Have you been called upon to maybe talk to some of the families who have lost people uh, in some of these police shootings or, or or other folks like that in our community?
1: Here's the perspective that I have. My journey started 21 years ago with the perspective that there are victims at both ends of the gun. Now, I think that that puts a very really different perspective than to say, Tony, kill my son, uh, you know, he's a murderer, he should be hung from the highest pole. How does that improve society? So I think we have to look and say that, you know, when you're looking at white cops, uh, they are very scared of black people that are armed. And if you look at black people, they're very scared of white cops. You know, they talk about black, black life matters. Well, you know, to my opinion, all life matters. The, the 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 life of a policeman matters. They are going into danger situations every day. So I think you can take the same perspective. That the issue we have really here is that there are victims at both ends of the gun. The same issue with radicalization, you know, in the Middle East. You know, you have ISIS. Um, you know, we might defeat ISIS, but are we going to be able to defeat the ideology that created ISIS? Probably not. So we now have to look and see how do we heal both sides of this equation. You know, we, we, we need to teach and educate people on why do we have the circumstances that we have. I mean, you know, trying to, 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 to you, know, I, you know, it's a good quote by Gandhi, an eye for an eye and soon the whole world is blind. And this is where we are going unless we are able to look and have this conversation and and really address the issue about racism in our country really address the issues that are these concepts that i talk about of nonviolence of empathy and compassion and forgiveness teachable i mean we're one human race i mean america is a melting pot There's 138 languages being spoken in los angeles i don't know how los angeles functions but it does so we have an opportunity to heal through the divides that we have, whether it's nationality, whether it's race, whether it's language, whether it's skin color, that if you are able to look and say that you know all life matters, not only black, all life matters are one human race, and we need to now look at these ills that are creating radicalizations and gang members, and we can win this race if we look at it from that perspective.
0: So, so, so one if- of the things
1: I shared earlier. Why don't we teach this as a, uh, you know, I mean, as I said earlier, most kids are not going to be, you know, have second degrees, but they're all going to be parents. And we already see evidence, now that we've been doing this for 20 years, where we've had kids that were born fourth to five generations, right, from gang culture that are now not in gangs. You know, I I, I speak at universities and say, you know, you saved me. When you came and spoke to my sixth grade i didn't join my elder brother who was in a gang I, my you know i came from four generations of gang members and i have two sons now and i i have a degree in chemistry and banking because you inspired me and my kids will not have the kind of life that i grew up with i know it's a long-term solution but we've got to start someplace fact like gandhi did i love gandhi because he probably was a champion of non-violence, and he said this, that if you are ever going to have peace in the world, surely we must begin with our children first.
0: So Azeem, we've only got about 40 more seconds before we have to wrap up, any any parting comments for our audience?
1: Sure. Well, let me just uh, uh, give you this quote. I've been a you know, big writer, and this is the quote that is the basis of my last book. Um, and it was inspired after 9 11. It's very heavy on all of our hearts. Uh, a little bit heavy on my heart because the atrocity was perpetrated by people from my faith. I'm a practicing Muslim. It's not the faith. You know, the same faith got me to forgiveness. All faiths teach empathy, compassion, and forgiveness. It's really geopolitics, money, and power and oil. So I went, but anyway, I went into this deep introspection after 9 11 thinking, how could this happen? You know, it took me many months to kind of come out of it. I meditate two hours a day. And six months later came this quote, which is the basis of my uh, last book. And it goes like this, sustained goodwill creates friendship. Now, that will be obvious. You don't make friends by bombing them. You make friends by extending goodwill. So sustained goodwill creates friendship. Sustained friendship creates trust. Sustained trust creates empathy. Sustained empathy creates compassion. Sustained compassion creates peace. So I call it my peace formula. That's where the goodwill goes to friendship, to trust, to empathy, to compassion, to peace. But people ask me, how do you extend goodwill to the person who murdered your child? I tell them, you do that through forgiveness. As it's evident, it worked for me and my family. What's well, the miracle? it worked for him and his family. It can work for you and everybody that is listening to this particular show. It can it can help Israel and Palestine and North and South Korea and Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan and Syria. It can work for the United States of America. So I you know I believe peace is possible. How do I know that? Because I am at peace. So let me leave you with that.
2: Well, thank you so much, Azim. Really appreciate your coming on this show, especially now at a time of such great need for this message in our nation. For listeners who want to find out more information about the Tariq uh, Kamisa Foundation, visit the site uh, TKF.org. Also find additional information at Azeem's website, azimkamisa.com. We'll be posting more information about this on our Facebook and Twitter pages, at Grace in 30. If you know someone locally or nationally who would be a great guest like Azeem,
0: please let us know at gracein30 at gmail.com. Ed, get us out of here, man. Uh, This is Ed and Sal signing off from Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune in to Grace.